hello. It's wonderful to be with you all on a bit of a windy day. I, wow, thinking ahead. Is this you, Will? Of course it's you. You always think of these wonderful things. Uh, it's great to be with you. My name is Wade. Uh, I am the pastor for college students at Parkview Church. Our ministry is called 24-7. There's a few college students here. It's wonderful. See you at North Campus. Awesome. Um, I love your pastor here, Josh Casey. Obviously, he's at Central preaching right now. And one thing I love about Josh, Josh is a man of integrity. You can just trust that guy. And uh, he's worthy of trust. I just love him. And uh, it's so wonderful to be in gospel partnership with Josh as he's here. I'm serving the college students, and uh, he's just a wonderful teammate, and I just respect him so much. So you guys are just so blessed. How amazing that you guys get Josh Casey as your pastor. Right? Exactly. Okay. Well, we're going to turn to God's Word now in 1 Corinthians 3. And uh, here at Parkview, we always love turning to God's Word because we believe that God speaks to us in His Word. Some of you are here. Maybe you are still considering if Christianity is true or not. And uh, we as Christians, we open the Bible because we just need to hear from God. And uh, we believe that God speaks to us from the Bible about His Son, Jesus. And He teaches us as a church how we ought to live for the purposes of His Son, Jesus. And that's what 1 Corinthians is all about. It's a church that's really complicated, very messy, very broken, so many ways. Uh, and the Apostle Paul, first century, ancient city of Corinth, uh, in ancient Greek, Greece. Uh, he's writing to them and helping them understand how the good news of Jesus, that Jesus' death for sinners, his resurrection life that's given freely to anyone who would just simply embrace it by faith, this gospel transforms the way a church ought to behave and live together. And that's what we're learning in 1 Corinthians. Am I okay? Silence? Okay, good. I just know if there's something going on here. Uh, so, 1 Corinthians 3. We're going to go from uh, verse 1 all the way to verse 17. And so I'm going to read the passage aloud. I'm going to pray for the Lord's help, and then we're going to reflect on this text together. Hear now God's word for us in 1 Corinthians 3. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. And even now, you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving in merely a human way? For one says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. 
for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds in the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you, you are that temple. This is God's word. It is true and given to us in love. Please pray with me. Father, please um, uh, give me Holy Spirit's power to proclaim the truth of your word and dependence upon you. I pray for Josh right now at Central and Fern at East that you would fill these brothers with the fullness of Christ to preach Jesus from this text to their people at Parkview Central and East. And right now, Lord, I pray that you would magnify Christ that you would kill our sin, that you'd increase our love for you, build your church, and glorify your name for the sake of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So my wife, Claire, and I have a wonderful little boy, 14-month-old, Haddon. And uh, Haddon has a sneaky way of uh, doing things he ought not to do. And recently, uh, he likes to sneak into the bathroom and put his hand in the toilet. Okay, that's, that's not good. Or this morning, as I was making eggs, he wanted to touch the stove. No. And uh, what happens uh, as a parent is two things simultaneously. It's really important in those moments, about to reach in the toilet, about to touch the hot stove. Two things need to happen simultaneously. First, I need to tell him directly what the problem is. Okay? The, pr- the problem is you'll get burned. And the problem is it's disgusting to touch a toilet. I have to tell him that. Okay? Tell the problem directly. And then secondly, I need to redirect his focus. Okay? I've got to redirect his focus to something better, to something good for him. Declare the problem, redirect the focus. And, and that's what really what Paul's doing here in, 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 uh, for the Corinthians in chapter 3. He's stating directly and actually restating the problem that he talked about all the way back in chapter 1, problem of division in the church. He tells that to them directly what the problem is, and then he refocuses their attention. We're going to look at how he refocuses their attention in two ways. Okay? The first one is about God's work in the church, okay? God's work of growth in the church. And this is going to be just very encouraging for us as a whole community. The second way he's going to refocus their attention to what is good is he's going to talk about leaders and the importance of the work that leaders do. And so that's going to be a word for us as, as leaders who are here at Parkview serving in that capacity. Uh, but first, let's look at the problem that Paul addresses. Verses 1 to 4. He explains the, the problem clearly, starting in verse 1. But I, brothers, I could not address you as spiritual people, meaning people who have the Holy Spirit, spiritual, spiritual of the Holy Spirit, people of the Holy Spirit. I couldn't address you like that, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. You hear these Christians, Corinthians, they're Christians, and yet they ought to be maturing in the Holy Spirit, but they're not. They're stuck. They're still infants in Christ. And so Paul further clarifies the problem, verses 2 to 4. He says, I fed you with milk, which is the basic message of the gospel, and not with solid food, which would have been a deeper teaching and application of that gospel message to their lives. He's saying, I couldn't give you the solid food, give you milk, for you are not ready for it. And even now, you are not yet ready. 
verse 3, for you are still of the flesh, meaning you're still living and thinking according to your own selfish purposes instead of the Lord's purposes. And then he defines a central issue in verse 3 again. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh behaving only in a human way? And here's what he means by jealousy and strife, verse 4. For when one says, I follow Paul, I love his preaching. Or no, I'm an Apollos guy. I love Paul's ministry. It's way better than Paul's. They're dividing that way. What's going on, he says, is this. Are you not being merely human? Is acting in that way not devoid of God's divine power as displayed in the cross of the crucified Son? So he tells them directly what is going wrong in their community. They're dividing according to their favorite church leaders. Now, why is this such a problem? Well, in a pluralistic, success-driven first-century Corinth, people gave their allegiance to the powerful person who was able to influence others through their rhetorical skill and intellectual prowess. The person that we heard in chapters 1 and 2, the person of wisdom, right? But at heart, the Corinthian problem was an issue of misdirected significance and worth. My significance, a Corinthian would think, and value is tied up in the success of my leader. I belong to him or her. Her victory is my victory. I'm part of his tribe. And therefore, that's how I gain my sense of significance. My worth is based upon my leader's success. I defend their honor, no matter the cost. That's what's going on in the Corinthian culture. And so here we have the Corinthian church saying, I belong to Paul. I like Apollos. His ministry is better than Paul. So instead of focusing on the message as a church, of Christ crucified for salvation for sinful people, which is, which is God's true wisdom, right? Remember chapters 1 and 2. The Corinthian Christians were, for, were focused on the personality and gifting of their leaders and giving their allegiance to them because they believed that is where true significance was found, which is exactly what the culture around them was doing. And that's the problem. That's the problem. One commentator says that there's too much Corinth in the church in the first century. Paul says this type of behavior is, verses 3 and 4, worldly or merely human. It is not from God, and it is not glorifying to God. You see, Parkview, we face the same exact problem today in the church. People in contemporary Western culture are continually enticed into basing their sense of worth and significance on their allegiance to popular leaders or to a group that they believe has the power to benefit their lives. Example number one is politics. Just think for a moment about what happens so often in our political divisions, how passionate we feel about the political party that we belong to, and how enraged we feel when someone disagrees with our leader or identifies or names some type of shortcoming or flaw in one of our leaders. Or think about the church. How does this type of thinking affect the church? Well, many of us probably know or have heard about churches that exalted the giftings and personality of a dynamic leader above and beyond the truth of the gospel message in a character of godliness that the Lord requires in his servants. And therefore, that church found themselves in areas of ungodly compromise. We probably have heard stories of this on the internet or whatever it is, right? We know of churches like that. So, what happens instead of the glory of God and the proclamation of the gospel of God's rescuing power for sinful men and women as the center and goal of a church community, God is teaching us through verses 1 to 4 this. It is easy, Parkview, it is easy for a church 
to slowly drift towards division according to favorite leaders or favorite ministry preferences or favorite programs or whatever it may be, and thereby devolve into spiritual immaturity and rank worldliness, pursuing the same lust for significance as those who do not bear the name of Jesus Christ. Parkview, are you not being merely human? Verse 4. Where or to whom does your true worth and significance really lie? So Paul seeks to resolve this problem, and it is a problem, in the following verses, verses 5 to 17, by refocusing their attention in two ways. We're going to see this, okay? We're going to see, number one, we're going to see a refocus on the Lord's work in the church. Verses 5 to 9, the Lord's work in the church, verses 5 to 9. We're going to refocus then on the church's value, verses 10 to 17. Refocus on the Lord's work and refocus on, I'm sorry, the leader's role is the second point. I had to change my notes here. Second one's refocus on the leader's role, verses 10 to 17. I apologize. Lord's work, 5 to 9, leader's role, 10 to 17. Let's refocus on the Lord's work, 5 to 9. Paul deals with the Corinthian problem, the human heart problem of significance in, in a leader by focusing on a distinct image, the church as a field, okay? Five to nine, the image is one of field. In 10 to 17, the image is of building. Do you, have you notice that when you look at the passage when we're reading it? Verse five, look, look, look at this. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? You, Corinthians, who base your significance upon your leader, who are these men actually? What's the answer? Answer is, verse five, servants. They're not superstars. They're not celebrities. They are servants through whom you believe. Now focus here. As the Lord, as the Lord assigned to each. The Lord has assigned each servant his task, and they are simply servants in his field, being faithful to the work that God has given them. Paul goes on in verse 6. I planted. There's the seed. Paul is watered. But focus here, right? God, God gave the growth. Verse 7. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, is anything, but only God who gives the growth. I'll turn up the volume my voice. He who plants and he who waters, verse 8, are one. They're a unified team, the task on the field. And each one will receive his wages according to his labor. For, verse 9, we are God's fellow workers. Paulos and Paul, they're together as a team, a unified team, fellow workers, but they belong to God. They are God's fellow workers. And you, Corinthians, are God's field. You are a field, but you belong to the Lord. You do not belong fundamentally to your leaders, but to the Lord. What's going on here? Paul is doing this. He's placing the leaders in the church and the church itself in its proper place, which is underneath or below the Lord's overall responsibility for his church's life and vitality. Did you notice that five times, five times, Paul emphasizes the Lord's work as the X factor or the game changer in the growth of the field, his church. It is the Lord who grows his church. That is the most important part. Verse 7, it says the only important part is the Lord who grows his church. You see, I've often heard the tagline, and, and I've, I've heard church leaders uh, use this before, you know, everything rises and falls 
on leadership. Have you heard that before? Well, it's helpful. It's good wisdom. It's good to keep that in mind in the church. But what God himself is saying to us in 1 Corinthians 3 is this. Everything rises and falls not on leadership, but on lordship. Lordship. It is the Lord, verse 5, who assigns the task for the servants. Verse 7, it is, this is just amazing, right? Leaders plant, leaders water, but the, the Lord gives the growth. It doesn't matter if you have a nice field and you've got great seed and you've got nice, purified, amazing water. If there's no growth, it doesn't matter. The Lord grows his church. Parkview, here's how the Lord wants us to focus right now. Significance in the church is not ultimately based upon who is leading, but on who is Lord. Significance at Parkview Church is not based on who is leading, but on who is Lord. Therefore, our deepest loyalty must be given to the Lord himself, not a human leader. Leaders, according to the text so far in 5 to 9, are servants. They're not superstars, they're not celebrities, and they certainly are not saviors. I can never save you. There's one savior of the church. His name is Jesus Christ. And through his death and resurrection, he welcomes all and every broken, weary, exhausted sinner into his embrace and life everlasting with him. He is the Lord of the church. He grows the church. Now, why is this important? Well, it's important because we all, we all want and long for our church to grow. We want to see more people come to know the Lord Jesus. We want to see a deepened maturity amongst those who do know Jesus in love and devotion to his word. We want to see an expansion in gospel speaking here in North Liberty and beyond among the nations, right? We long for that, don't we? But let's allow the Bible to refocus our attention on the Lord who grows the church. Let's turn our focus away from our leaders, whether they're mighty strengths or glaring weaknesses, and let's again and again and again focus upon the Lord Jesus who grows his church, the one who died for his church in love, who reigns over his church in power, who grows his church through the proclamation of his gospel and the prayers of his faithful people. Let's show, Parkview, a watching world that Psalm 127 is actually true, which says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord builds the house, Parkview, let's go all in with Jesus and his design for the church that he loves and he leads. He has given up his life for this church. He loves this church. He will never leave or forsake this church. We could not be more assured of health and vitality right now at Parkview Church. The Lord is for us. Who can be against us? We're unstoppable in Christ our Lord. So as a practical step, get, let's get real practical here. What's it look like to refocus on Christ, the one who grows his church? Well, hopefully you have heard or you will hear in the following weeks that we have several weekly prayer gatherings throughout the week, every week, week by week, and then several times throughout the week. We're, we're, we're gathering to pray in different, sometimes online, some are online, uh, some are in person. And what if we all just committed earnestly to just attend one of these gatherings during the week? And we just prayed our hearts out to the Lord to grow his church. Wouldn't the Lord Jesus delight 
in growing and sustaining and making Parkview Church what he longs for it to be, what we long for it to be, a place of beauty and glory in Christ. So there you go. We have our weekly prayer gatherings during this year of renewal. What if we each just committed to find a time that works best for you? If you want more information, please come up to me afterwards. I can share more. There's on the weekly email, there's also times for that. But what if we prayed? Prayed to the Lord of the field to grow his church. That's one very simple way right now that we can refocus on the Lord who grows his church. That's number one. Second, now just in case, you might be wondering, okay, so, so leaders are just like, they're totally unimportant. Uh, leaders don't matter at all. Is their work a waste of time? Should Wade just quit his job? Some of you are asking that right now because of this. If it's just Lord, you know, leaders don't matter. This is the Lord. Well, actually, leaders do matter in a, in a unique way, and that's what number two is all about. Refocus on the, le- the leader's role, verses 10 to 17. Verses 10 to 17, refocus on the leader's role in the church. Here, Paul shifts the second image, okay? At the very end of verse 9, what does it say? You're God's field. Next, it says what? You are God's building. So then Paul takes that image, you're God's building, and then expands it in the following verses. And the church is the building the Lord owns, and the builders are the leaders who must build carefully. Okay, look. Look at the text. Verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me. I mean, Paul could not be more clear. The work in the church, again, verse 10, according to the grace of God, not according to my strength and ingenuity and gifting. No, no, according to the grace of God given to me. Again, notice the X factor in, in the growth of the church. It's God's grace, God's work. Like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. He's talking about when he planted the church. I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. And then here's the, the key command. Let each one take care how he builds upon that foundation. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So the foundation conversation is, is over, okay? That's what Paul's saying. It's done. It's Jesus, okay? Now, what matters now is how are we going to build upon that foundation? Now, if anyone builds on the foundation, gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Now, we talk about the day, and we hear fire, and we're like, whoa. What this might sound like in first reading is, uh, you know, Paul's talking about, well, is this like, so if you do enough good stuff, and you're a good enough person, on the, the final day, God will welcome you into his eternal kingdom, into the new creation, the new heavens and new earth. Well, no, actually. That is true, that there is a future day, but the security of that, in terms of salvation, is based upon the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and your reception of that by faith, okay? So salvation, that conversation is done through the finished work of Jesus, okay? But there is a day of judgment that is one of evaluation. Evaluation. And that's what Paul is talking about here. There's a future day coming, especially for those in leadership who are responsible for building the church, where the Lord will assess and evaluate each person's work. Verse 14, look, he says positive, and then 15 goes negative. Positive, the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a a reward. Now, focus again on the word, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive reward. And then he goes negative. Anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved. So again, Paul's just making it very clear. We're not talking about salvation here. We're talking about evaluation. What's the type of work that is done in the church? 
that the fire exposes and shows what is actually of true value to the Lord of the church. So, Paul, again, I want to emphasize, right? He's clear. Everywhere in the New Testament, the right relationship with God is assured through the finished work of Jesus on the cross received by faith. Okay, that's not, we're not talking about salvation by works here. Okay, that's the good news of Christianity is that Jesus has been the good person for you. And so you can give up trying to be a good person and give it all to Jesus and receive his love and forgiveness. And he makes you a new person filled with his love and compassion. But more specifically, what Paul's talking about here is the type of work that church leaders do in order to build upon the foundation of Jesus Christ, right? Verse 10 to 11, foundation, and then 12 to 15, the work, the building upon the foundation. So Paul's warning is clear. Be careful, specifically be careful church leaders. Make sure that you build in such a way that aligns with the foundation that actually matters to the Lord's future evaluation. And so why is Paul so serious about this judgment for the quality of work that the church leaders must pursue? Well, it's because in verse 16 to 17, we see the Lord values his church. The Lord loves his church. He says to the Corinthians, do you not know that you, as a local church, not talking about individual people, but as a church, local church, you are God's temple. God's spirit dwells in you, Parkview. Did you know that? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Just like my son had, I don't want anyone messing around with Haddon. The Lord doesn't want anyone messing around with the church. It's precious to him and beloved by him. And actually, his very spirit dwells in the local church, Parkview Church. Fundamentally, in verse 10 to 17, Paul's refocusing the church on just how valuable it is to the Lord, and specifically, the leaders have a certain task to do because the church is so valued. A certain way of doing ministry that actually builds upon the foundation of Christ. Here's the main point. The local church is about building a temple that belongs to the Lord. It's precious to the Lord, holy to the Lord. And therefore, its leaders must be careful to build according to the holy foundation, 10 to 15. And nobody ought to harm the Lord's temple, verses 16 to 17. So why is this important? How does this shape us here? Well, we need to refocus on a leader's role. And I say that as I'm, I'm literally I'm wanting to sit under the word here, okay? I'm going I'm, to I'm preach to myself here for a few seconds. And those of you here who are in leadership, you can listen in. Now, as a congregation, you also need to listen, listen in right now, too, because you ought to be seeing, okay, is this what our leaders are doing? Are we encouraging, to- this toward, you know, are we encouraging them towards this type of work? But as leaders, here's a key insight from verses 10 to 15. The foundation determines the structure. The foundation determines the structure. If a little kid has a one-inch high Lego mat, or whatever you call those things, right? They're the basis of a Lego, okay? And you have some of your friends come over, and they're watching your kid build that. No one's going to say, oh, wow, you know, Cheryl, your kid, he must be building a wonderful tower in New York City right now. No, he's just building a little Lego structure. Why? Because the Lego mat, the foundation, is going to determine the structure of this little kid. Okay? Well, think about the Sears Tower in Chicago. One writer online says this, The foundation for the Sears Tower is a massive cement structure that is 100 feet deep. In addition, the foundation is surrounded by 200 circular kaisons. I don't know what that word is. Some of you in construction are going to repro- reprove me after the end of the service. Uh, which are huge cement-filled cylinders bored an additional 100 feet below and set in solid bedrock. 
these structures add stability, this foundation adds stability to the building so that it stands firm no matter what the conditions at the top. This foundation, get this, is completely invisible to the thousands who visit the Sears Tower every year. Without the foundation, this is how it ends, without the foundation, there would be no tower to visit. Without the foundation, there would be no tower to visit. You see, the foundation determines the structure of the building, the whole building project. Parkview leaders, verses 10 to 11, what does it say our foundation is? The Lord Jesus Christ himself, the foundation of the local church, is Jesus. And this foundation is indestructible. He is our solid bedrock, the rock of ages, a cleft for us, a place of refuge and strength and security in times of trouble. Jesus is able to withstand, get this, the assaults of the evil one, right? Uh, the building is able to stand no matter the conditions. Well, there's a lot of conditions against the church right now. We have spiritual warfare, Satan, all of his minions against the church, but they're not going to do nothing against us because of Jesus, the foundation. And we have a secular culture that's constantly changing and totally maligns the gospel and confuses the gospel, and that can't take down the church. The church, according to Jesus, is unstoppable. The gates of hell can't go against the church. The church will triumph in the end. Why? Because the foundation is Jesus Christ. And so here's the point, the type of work that is quality in the eyes of the Lord, that in the final day, there's a final day coming, and in that evaluation, the type of work that is celebrated and seen as significant and mattering to the Lord is the type of work that is built upon the foundation in line with the foundation of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, as it's been said a gazillion times, we at Parkview are in a unique season right now. So for any of us here who are in leadership roles, we are in the process of, we're, we're planning right now. We're thinking of a future vision. We're thinking about determining structures. And so let's make it our aim in accordance with God's word to build in a way that matters eternally to the Lord. So when it comes to elder meetings or pastor meetings or 24-7 college meetings, 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 where we plan, 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 structure, budget, programs, outreach. As leaders, we must allow the Lord to warn us and to exhort us from this passage that a future day of judgment is coming. And the evaluation that reveals if we pursue here at Parkview is if we've been aligned with the gospel of Jesus Christ. On this passage, New Testament scholar D.A. Carson says this, If the church is being built with large portions of charm, personality, managing skills, powerful emotional experiences, and people smarts, but without the repeated passionate, spirit-anointed proclamation of, the Jesus, of Jesus Christ and Him crucified, we may be winning more adherents than actual converts and disciples to Christ. You see, these different things have a place. Managing skills, powerful experiences, uh, personality, good leadership, uh, understanding. It, it all has a place. But the fundamental non-negotiable for leaders in the church, if they're going to build the church of Jesus Christ upon the foundation of Jesus Christ, must be the prayerful proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just think about the book of Acts. The book of Acts in the New Testament tells the story of the early church. How did the church grew, grow? In two ways. The people prayed and the people proclaimed. The people prayed the gospel, and the people proclaimed the gospel. And so us as leaders, and get this, if you are sitting there and you're a member at Parkview Church or wanting to join membership, you are called to join us in this work. We as your servants, us participating together, we must continually be asking the question, 
in this ministry, in this budget, in this leadership team, in this outreach, in this community group, whatever it is, the different structures and programs that we have, is the number one focus on how to faithfully and prayerfully proclaim and speak the gospel of Jesus in this group, in this family, in this structure, in this meeting? And how do we help our people understand, embrace, and grow in light of the gospel of Jesus? Or how do we equip our people to know the gospel and then embrace it and show it to others and speak it to others? That is what this church is all about. If we are to build in a way in Parkview, in the future, in a way that eternally matters to the Lord. Not if the world thinks we're successful or really awesome and wow, isn't that crazy? No, no. But if the Lord smiles upon us and pours out his blessing upon us, it must be that we focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is our foundation, but he is that which we build step by step along the way. That is true significance. That is where our worth is found is in the Lord Jesus and in the prayerful speaking of his gospel in every aspect of our church ministry, starting on Sunday mornings and then pervading every aspect of this church life. So the Lord Jesus is the king of his church, the Lord of his church. He is the one who's growing his church, right? He's the Lord at work, verses 5 to 9. That's what we must focus on first and foremost, is that he is growing his church. And secondly, we must refocus on the leader's role. 10 to 17, that we are called to create systems and structures and planning in such a way that we build upon the foundation with a focus on the gospel of Jesus being prayerfully proclaimed by all of us together. So here's the good news. Verses 21 to 23, we don't have time. We're closing right now, but I just want to focus on just one phrase here. It says, all things are yours and you belong to Jesus Christ. One of the things that we often struggle with right now, I know that 24-17 does, is, is kind of a sense of, it can be discouraging right now during COVID and ministry. And uh, because of that, maybe you are tempted to think of the church primarily in discontentment and, and discouragement right now. And, and often I think it comes because we feel like we just lack resources. We lack the kind of the firepower to do great stuff right now in this season of life, in this cultural moment. But, but what Paul ends with is simply this. All things are yours. You belong to Christ. Christ belongs to God, meaning you have more than enough riches and resources, Parkview Church, to advance the gospel. We, have, we, we are more than well supplied in our Lord Jesus to be faithful to the task that he has called us to. So whether we are congregants, members, whether we are leaders, the Lord has provided everything that we need. You see, when Haddon's about to touch the toilet or touch the burning stove, yes, I tell him the problem, but I refocus him on something greater. And you know what that something greater is? It's something that he already has. It's a toy that he needs to go play with. It's a teddy bear that he needs to go cuddle. You see, to refocus, we need to understand we're refocusing, but we're refocusing because of the resources that we have in Jesus Christ. This is his church. He is growing his church. He loves his church, and our significance and worth is in him as he is at work among us. So let us be faithful and be his servants. Amen.